Indiana is famous for three things. The Indianapolis 500, Dan Quayle, remember, and hoop. Lots of hoop. In Indiana, basketball is more than a religion. You only go to church once a week. But basketball is a nightly pilgrimage. Mike and guarded from behind by Henry. Passes to Gerald. He drives under. He shoots a layup. He misses. And the buzzer goes off. It's all over. Basketball took off from the moment the first people began to play. When I played in high school, we had the two-handed set shot. The one-handed shot didn't come in until in the 30s. The game was altogether different. If a young man in Boston or Minneapolis or Denver had wanted to play basketball in the 1890s in America, he would present himself at a YMCA gymnasium. Any true player will tell you his aspirations go to the NBA. This is hardcore street basketball. They play for blood out there. They'll elbow you, whatever they got to do. It's physical. Today, it's much less a group game. It's really a collection of incredibly talented individuals playing a game for very high stakes. Hello, everybody. I'm Greg Proops, and this is Hoops, the complete amazing world history of basketball. Record numbers throng into the Coliseum for the 42nd National Automobile Show. Power aplenty is represented here. Mighty new engines and power accessories galore on the 124 makes and models displayed. It's the 50s, and Indiana has become hooked on the most exciting game in the galaxy. Brown to the top of the key on the wing. Pippen a drive and a dunk with the left hand. Pippen the great feet. Reverse dunk by Greg Foster. What a feed by Stockton again. He jump stops, powers up the shot and in. He is fouled, and Baker goes to the line. Blind chicken to the barnyard. Whether you lived in a community of 10 people, or 100,000, or a million, basketball was life in Indiana. Indiana is home of the Hoosiers, the state's plain, simple people who love sports, hate big city life, and look very much like the Waltons, or the Ingalls from Little House on the Prairie. Indy for short, farms, works in a gas station, or races old Fords for fun. Oh, and they love basketball. Now here at the Indiana State Museum, we're dedicated to telling the story of the natural and cultural history of the entire state of Indiana. But it's interesting that of our six permanent exhibits, one of them is devoted to sports history. And of course, there's no bigger topic in there than basketball. Indianapolis is the state's biggest city. It's famous for motor racing and hoop. But most of Indiana's population is found in tiny villages and communities. This is truly small town America. People would have the hoops on their garage and, right. and everybody in the neighborhood would come out and play in the evenings after they'd had their dinner. And um, so the whole neighborhoods got into it. And then those who got really good got to be on these organized teams for school. Many people would rather follow college basketball than professional basketball. Even if you live in a very small town, chances are you have a college and they play basketball and you can identify with that college. Bob Hamill has spent his life writing about basketball for one of the local papers. He's one who knows how important the sport is for his state and its identity. 
whole communities grew up hating each other <laughs> because of basketball. And it's a virulent hate. It's not a fisticuffs thing. Basketball on the school level was always a big deal. Somehow in my schools, it seemed like it was always the sport as opposed to football. It was a real grassroots thing. It was easy to play with a relatively small number of people. Baseball, for example, was very hard to play with four people. Basketball, you could play easily with four people or two people. You could play one-on-one, -on -one, you could play two-on-two, three-on. They resent each other's superiority in basketball or applied superiority. Whenever one wins, the other loses, and there's bitterness. Uh, it's not a healthy side of the game, but it's a fun part. Because it isn't nastiness. It's just, we want to beat you, you want to beat us, and we don't like you when you beat us. It's ingrained, and it goes from generation to generation, and it, and it all focuses in basketball. In the grand marble halls of Indiana's most prestigious museum, Ron Newland charts the state's basketball heritage. In Indiana, basketball first took root at the high school level, and it grew from there. It has a lot to do with the nature of Indiana at the time that spectator sports in general, basketball in particular, took off at the start of the century. We were a very rural state. Boys were busy planting in the spring and harvesting in the fall, but winter was a time when there was an opportunity, not only for the players, but for their parents and their friends to look for something to do. And because basketball only takes five or six players to field a team, every little school in the state was able to field a team. But hold your cotton bacon horses there, mister. Before you dismiss this lovely little state as a sporting backwater of great big America, the Indies gave my nation one of the very first professional sponsored basketball teams. In 1913, Grandpa started a sporting goods store, and so he thought, I will start a basketball team to advertise selling sporting goods. Steve Hardy is the grandson of Lee Emmelman. The family business has been handed down from generation to generation. Bill Hardy is Steve's father and son of the original owner. They had to be something special, and they were, and they went out to get some good players which were available in those days. As a matter of fact, there was one player that scored 80 points in one game, which was unbelievable in those days when scores were 20 to 15 and that sort of thing. They didn't work for salary. We provided the transportation, made up the schedules, and the admission charge in most cases was five cents. And at the end of the game, why they would get the money together and they would split it up among the players. The Amrose team toured America, gleefully winning game after game. They became one of the original barnstorming teams of the 1900s. Before today's big city-based teams and the cross-dressing antics of Dennis Rodman, the traveling athlete was the norm. In Indiana, the Amrose would fill fields, halls, and farmyards. In Grandpa's day, the uniforms were drastically different than the uniforms of today. Most of the uniforms back then were made out of a heavy wool, a lot of them even in a long sleeve jersey rather than a sleeveless jersey. The shorts were completely different. They were a very, very short short. I'm sure Grandpa's team would have loved to play in current basketball uniforms. As the Emeralds toured Indiana, school kids became obsessed by the game. Soon, an interstate championship began. 
Chester in the game, Fisher. Ball in low to Shaq. And then he slam dunk with authority. People will talk about, do you remember the, the fire of 1942, you know, or do you remember some other major cataclysmic event <laughs> that occurred in the community at some particular time in the state basketball tournament was on that level. The first one took place in Indiana and attracted hundreds of teams and thousands of fans. Eventually, these finals became the most important sporting and social event in the state. Ryder Todd Gould is a Hoosier born and bred. He's followed the growth of the state championship since he was a boy. Milan, this tiny school of only a hundred students, was going up against Muncie Central. And Muncie Central had had this reputation of they had already won four state titles. They were this big, rough, gruff team and they were good and they knew it and they taunted the crowd with it. I mean, they were the team that everybody loved to hate. Bobby Plump is the most famous man in the state. According to a recent survey, more Hoosiers know his name than that of their own governor. Why? Because he's more important than the governor. Because Bobby Plump scored the winning basket in the 1954 Interstate Schools Championship. Tickets were selling for $2.50 and they were scalping them for $50 in 1954. The field house seated 15000 and they estimate that 90% of the people in Indiana either listened or saw that game on TV or radio. Milan, spelt Milan, is 70 miles from Indianapolis and 4,000 miles from Rome. But a young, blonde-haired Bobby Plump was to make it the most famous obscure town in America. Todd Gould relives the story. This is where it would have all occurred in March of 1954 here at Butler Fieldhouse. 15,000 fans packed around very tightly in this gym. Colors from all these tiny towns and schools where the people would wear their jerseys proudly. All watching this very tiny team from the town of Milan who most had never heard of. Smells of nickel cigars and popcorn in the air and eager anticipation for the game to start. It's this big guy, little guy rivalry that is Indiana that is basketball. Tom Racer and Charlie Hodson were there. They started for the big bad Bearcats. They were the arch rivals, the evil opposition, the heavy duty favorites. Every place we go, we're booed. That's the way people felt. They, they really despised or hated the Bearcats. Oh, yeah. we, the crowds were hostile. I think they felt they were exceptionally talented and uh, they wanted to get the most out of the skills and the talents that they had. These would be dressy occasions and not Sunday church things, but you'd be very conscious of how you looked. Sometimes after the basketball game, they would have what they called a sock hop. Everybody take their shoes off and in their stocking feet, get out on the basketball floor and dance. They would drink Coke, Pepsi, soft drinks. There was a group of us. We had kind of a little gang, and, and we'd go and have dinner beforehand, or else we would have dates and go. People identify with underdogs, and small communities in Indiana were underdogs. And it truly was a way of life. It was important not just to the players. It may have been more important to the community and the people around the community to identify with basketball and say, yeah, that's our team. That's our team. 
Look how good we are. Now you know our names. We were allowed to go if we had tickets, and that meant we were out of school for two days. One of the year's innovations, the hardtop convertible. Just push a handy little button, and the solid roof folds back out of the way. See it and believe it. We would dress alike. And actually, we had a little club, and we had club colors. And this one game, we wore black skirts and turquoise sweaters. And that had nothing to do with our school colors that were red and white. Mm -hmm. But we thought we were so very special, didn't we? <laughs> oh, oh, yes. Even though you're not one of the five players on the floor, you identify. You are. You are them. Yeah. They are you. And I think that's the aura of it all, is that you identify with those players. If they win, you win. They are representing your school. They are representing you. As the game is progressing, and Mylan is staying close, they're staying with them, very surprisingly, all throughout the contest. And as it develops and as it goes on, and the game continues to be close, and you start to sense that the crowd is getting more and more into it. People are starting to lean up into their seats more. Even, even people who aren't from Mylan are starting to cheer for this little team. See, we have boy cheerleaders and girl and girls. We usually girl had three of each. They were the cheerleaders for the football season and for the basketball season. I'd just start off. Whoever we were playing, oh, Muncie is tough and Muncie's rough. They can beat everybody, but they can't beat us. Heidi, 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 hi. Holdy, 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 ho. Oh, skip, bop, beat em. That's the crazy song. And then everybody stood, and they followed me. There were as many parents there as there were uh, kids from the school, because that was a big thing in town. There wasn't television, or very little. And that's what everybody did. Well, during the game, the whole gym would be screaming. But one of the favorite yells was, we are the T-E-A-M that's on the B-E-A-M. We are the team that's on the beam that's really hep to the jive. Come on, Manuel, skin them alive. <laughs> and then two bits, four bits, six, <laughs> six bits a dollar, all for Manuel, stand up and holler. Lean to your left, lean to your right, stand up, sit down, fight, fight, fight. 15,000 fans were standing, screaming, and the crescendo just kept building and building. And then uh, we tied the game up 28-28. We went ahead 30-28. to They went down and scored a bucket, and it was 30-30, to and it was deafening in the field house. I mean, you couldn't, it, nobody could hear themselves talk. We got the ball back with 48 seconds to go. I stood at midcourt for 30 seconds, and we called timeout with 18 seconds to go. Plump looks over to the Milan bench, and there's Coach Marvin Wood. And Wood just sort of shrugs his shoulders at Bob and just tells him to stay there. So Bob stands there for one minute, and then two minutes, and then four minutes. So he's standing there with the ball, and nobody's moving. Everybody's kind of standing there with their hands on their hips. With the game on the line, in the finals of the state tournament, 15,000 fans going bananas and announcers on the radio station screaming into microphones and all he's doing is standing there. If you can imagine the tension and people sitting on pins and needles waiting to see what's going to happen in this game. And I had a teddy bear named Alice 
I love that teddy bear and had it for many, many years. And Alice was gold colored and was the school mascot for those basketball games. So I was cheering with my little teddy bear out on the basketball floor thinking, oh, isn't this just great? I told them, we're either going to win it or it's going into overtime. We're not going to shoot too early because we do, they have a chance to get back at us. You cannot believe the tension that just the whole seating section was just, when, especially when Plump was holding the ball, you know. Four minutes and 15 seconds, he's standing out there holding the ball, and we're two points behind. Everybody's panicking, you know, what are we doing? <laughs> I, I thought, I don't know what he's doing. And the final play was to get the ball to me. The four other fellows on my team were to be on the left-hand side. We cleared out the whole right side, and I was to wait until there were five or six seconds to go. And then I could drive all the way or stop and shoot a jump shot. In basketball, every player marks another. But unlike soccer, opponents don't all gang up on one shooter. So when Plump's team moved to the side of the court, it left an open lane for Bobby to shoot for victory. And he takes off with six seconds to go, five, four, three, comes up with a shot, the defender backs off, and Plump goes into the air, and the shot leaves his hand with two seconds left on the clock, with the score tied in the finals of the state tournament. When you listen to the radio broadcasts, and when you listen to the fans, and there's just this pandemonium going on throughout the entire game, and for two seconds, there's almost silence. The ball went in, and then pandemonium did break out. It seemed like there were 100,000 people in that 15,000 field house, and all of them were on the floor at one time. Bobby was now a hero. He and his team had beaten the state's Goliaths 32 to 30. Indiana went ballistic. Masses of people flocked to Little Mylan and threatened to bury the town with their enthusiasm. We got in our car, mother picked us up and we drove downtown, followed the whole team downtown, drove around the circle. We thought that was the neatest thing in the world. <laughs> the next day when we drove back to Mylan for the celebration, there were 40 thousand people in Milan to greet us. There was an 18-mile-long caravan following us down to Milan. Why is it exciting? Because it's, it just is. It's just part of, of being caught up in the group and, and being alive and, and thinking that uh, I can't think of any place else I want to be right now. But it's really, I want to be part of this. I want to be able to say that I was here and saw this. There's a sense of pride and excitement. It's, in, a, in a small town, it gives you recognition. Bobby Plump is the epitome of a Hoosier basketball hero. Intelligent, graceful, and courteous. People were walking from 12 miles around because you can't get 40,000 people in Milan. The cars were parked along the side of the road. So that's a little bit of what the excitement was about.
Styling verges on the spectacular, from air scoop grills to the dramatically sweeping tail fins that dominate most of the 57 models. The cars are longer and lower than ever this year, too, thanks in part to the smaller 14-inch wheels. Most of the 51 million passenger cars in use today seem drab and boxy, stacked up against these newest dreamboats. First of all, we always had a favorite on our own team, the one that we thought was very good looking or tall. And to really make it interesting, then we always picked out somebody from the opposing team. And that made it interesting. This one friend, she can actually still remember the name of one of the players on the Sacred Heart team. They were just clean, neat-looking guys. You did pick out the one you liked the best, but I think you also liked to see kind of the plays and see them move and how graceful they were. And one of the differences, a basketball player versus just somebody who was always in street clothes that you might sit next to, is see them do these things that were kind of neat. Nearly 40 years on, and Indiana has changed little. Here at Swayze, the town that is a mile-long road, they're immortalized in the Guinness Book of Records. They played the longest game in history, nine periods of overtime. This feat is commemorated with an enormous plaque at each end of the two-lane road. I think something has been lost in the culture. The little town of Markle, the little town of Banco had its team. Now, where there were 15 schools in the county that I was covering then, there's one now. Writer Bob Hamill fears for the future of Indiana roundball. Coaches are fired for not winning. That's not supposed to be part of the system. They have to basically hire the best players, whether or not they're good students or not. And they act like mercenaries. They are, in fact, mercenaries at all except the best schools. Back at the State Museum, Ron Newland is still hopeful for the future of Indiana and its Hoosier hooping hysteria. He believes tradition is still important to the state's sporting species. Today, I think, as much as anything, it's inertia and tradition. It's something that we want to believe is still unique about us. I'm not sure that it's necessarily true. We're not necessarily producing the greatest number of world-class athletes. It's just something that is so deeply ingrained within us. When a young man or a young woman now thinks about being a high school athlete, basketball is the sport they choose because it's what dad, increasingly now, what mom played. When I hold the basketball today, it does feel like it's a part of me and it brings me back to a 17-year-old kid. It makes me feel young. It makes me feel confident. I certainly cannot play the game today because I don't have the speed and jumping ability and, and the oxygen, but my brain tells me I can. If I didn't have to perform physically, I could still do it up here. I like to bounce it. I like to dribble it. I love to shoot it even though I got a bad shoulder. So those are some of the things that I recall when I have a basketball in my hand. Gary will drive to the top of the key, stop, look, fire, hit! Ooh! Gary Payton is in another time, another space, having an out-of-body experience right now. Left side, Ellie, down to Elijah, one point blank, fadeaway, 10-foot jumper, two more! The Charlotte team looks for a tie, five seconds to go. Left side, Guevara for three, falling down! Nails a three to tie the game! I'm Greg Proops. Join me as we continue to chart the history of basketball. As far as visibility, I don't think that you can put too many pop stars ahead of the Globetrotters. If you say Harlem Globetrotters, people who've been on Earth a while will recognize that name. 
And once you see the Globetrotters, as a little kid, you'll never forget it. I'm Greg Proops, and Proops Hoops was produced in Birmingham by New Street Productions. Oh, 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 o